Hello everyone and welcome to season 3 of the Global Career Schools podcast from the University of London Career Service. In this season, listening to stimulating careers conversations between a member of our team and professionals working in a range of sectors based across the globe. Join us as we speak to those alumni that embarked on a variety of careers journey. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Amara Farouk Malik from Pakistan, and she is a multifaceted legal professional. In fact, during her career, she has covered several roles, corporate and impact lawyer, international social entrepreneur, and international development and policy expert, with more than 23 years of experience across various sectors, including academia, law, gender, and green infrastructure development. Dr. Malik will also provide us with her insight into different practice areas, to managing her work alongside her LLM studies and family commitment, and into how learning is a lifelong process. She will share valuable tips on entrepreneurship, networking, and building a career in international law. We hope you enjoy the conversation. So hello, Dr. Amara Malik, a very warm welcome to this podcast episode today. We're absolutely delighted to be talking to you. Where in the world you're joining us from today? Gemma, I'm joining you from Pakistan and specifically from Lahore. This is where I grew up and this is where I work. Great. I know a lot of our students are, are from, from that region and from Pakistan. And you studied with us. You started your LLM qualification, your postgraduate laws qualification in 2004 and graduated in 2008. And About just, four years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and, and I guess that's the great thing about the flexibility of the part-time qualification. I was wondering, when you studied with the University of London, would you have described yourself as a career starter a career developer or a career changer? I think I would categorize myself as a career developer because I had already worked for about five, six years in the field and I was looking into accelerating my work prospects with an LLM. So I would say yes, definitely career developer. Excellent. And can you tell us a little bit about the areas that you specialized in with your LLM? So that's very interesting. So at that point in time, I was teaching law Mm. and I actually wanted to have a very diverse kind of LLM so as to give me the opportunity to teach the maximum number of subjects at LLM. So I had to, but my interest was always in company and corporate law. I Mm. think that is where my interest lay. So I did my LLM in company law, compensation and the law. But then I had a twist and I took two subjects of criminology. I had criminology and I had juvenile justice. So it became a very diverse kind of an LLM. Mm. And I must say it gave me a number of opportunities because it was so diverse, because it had the the room to sort of hop from civil to criminal in various consultancies and projects and uh, not clients. I didn't practice in criminal law but definitely in consultancy work that I did with in international development. Brilliant. And since studying with us, you've had a very accomplished career spanning sort of different areas of law. You've been invited to numerous high-level policy dialogues at the national and international level. You're working as, as an advocate for the high courts in Pakistan. I just wondered if you could give us an overview of your career so far. So I started out as a law teacher and I was always fascinated with 
uh, law as a subject. And I think I aspired to be a law professor at that time and looked up to my teachers a lot. And uh, coming from a country like Pakistan, there are general stereotypes about women here. And uh, I think I was very fortunate to come from a family that was educated and they gave, you know, in my family, there are so many opportunities for women. But I know for a fact that society as a whole expects women in Pakistan to be seen in a certain kind of image mm-hmm. where she is the homemaker. She may or may not go out to work. That was 20 years ago. Now everybody's, I think, working. And that brings about the limitation on opportunities that became available for her as well. So I think when I started out, I saw myself first in the role of a teacher and a homemaker. And I realized very quickly that I I needed to do more than this with my life. And so just within five years of my teaching career, I set up a university of my own. And I became a one-third partner in that venture. And that was... You know, you have to take a plunge once. And once you've taken it, it is impossible to go back into a nine-to-five routine anywhere because you become an entrepreneur. And really that one step, and that was the time when I started doing my LLM with the University of London because I realized that not just taking the plunge is not going to be enough. I need to upgrade my skills and my education and my qualifications as well. And that's why I was so interested in taking a diverse kind of LLM so that I could teach many of those subjects, or even if I was not teaching them, that I should be able to oversee the teachers who are teaching those subjects. I would be able to understand what they are teaching, what's going on, because if I'm being the administrator, I'm the manager or I'm the director, I needed to understand what the program was, or at least most of it. So that's actually how it started But I think one of the challenges I faced was in 2007, when I had to wind up my first business project, I had to wind up the university. And there were some personal reasons behind it, not because it wasn't doing well, there were some health reasons. And I lost a lot of money. And it taught me a very valuable lesson. And that valuable lesson was, the next time I'm going to start a business, it's going to be a lean model. It is going to be a lean business model. I'm not going to invest a lot of money. And secondly, the fact that I had two daughters by that time, I was married, I had two small daughters. I had responsibilities as a mother also. I couldn't compromise on my responsibilities towards them. So I had to strike a balance between how I could take care of my family and do some work and do justice to my qualifications alongside. And the best way I could do it was to do it online. So I think I took the cue from the University of London because I started the LLM online. And it was, a, it was really, I think at, in those days, it was, not, it was not the norm for people to do their LLM online. Because I remember many of the people used to just go to the UK for a year or just travel to the US for a year for an LLM. But I decided to stay back because it was impossible for me to go for various personal reasons. And then I made the most of that opportunity because that degree gave me a stepping stone into so many other opportunities in international development, 
So I set up an NGO. I set up the Sepla Foundation in 2010. And from that point onwards, it was just, thankfully, I would say I'm very grateful for the opportunities that came my way. It was going from one strength to the next, one building block to the next, because that's how growth is. You, you know, you cannot jump to a certain height. You always have to go step by step. So and I've always preferred to take smaller steps to go wherever I have to reach rather than taking a giant leap because I know I have to manage so many things alongside. I have to manage the family as well. I have to be the mom. I have to be the wife as well. I have to manage home. I have to be the mentor for my employees, for the juniors who are working with me. And it's just much more humane to do it in a way that takes everybody along. And it can only be done if you do it step by step. Take everybody with you alongside. Building your systems is extremely important to get to a point of where you can call yourself, I don't know, I, a very relative term. I think the word failure is also very <laughs> relative. <laughs> I failed so many times. And if I look back now, I don't think those were failures. I think they were just learning opportunities. Mm. So, uh, and I think it's really important to fall in your journey, because if you're not going to fall ever, you're never going to improve yourself. You're never going to, to reflect what went wrong. How can I fix this? What can I do differently? So it's important to fall. And I've fallen many times. If, if you look at my, and I think that that is success is being able to stand up again. That is success. Yeah, I think that's a great message. A lot of our students are juggling family life, caring commitments, work, study. So, you know, I think hearing your story is, is going to be really helpful as well. And I love that idea of looking at what could be perceived failures is just really valuable learning points. And it's what you do with it and what comes next that's really important. So Thank I wondered if, wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about sort of your current role and some of the things that you are involved with at the moment and what that looks like on probably not a day-to-day basis, but maybe a week-to-week. I imagine there's a lot of variety. So normally, so because I don't have a nine-to-five job and we work mainly on projects and assignments and we have strategies in place. So we have long-term strategies that we work towards. So for example, we work in three different areas. So so I basically work in three different areas. I work as a businesswoman, not really as a businesswoman, I as an impact entrepreneur because my work is completely banked on social impact. I don't do just an ROI-based business. So one is impact entrepreneurship. The second is, of course, legal practice. And the third is international development. So I take these three portfolios alongside in my work. For law practice, I have my own firm, which is AF Malik Law. I'm very proud to say that it's a woman-led law firm in Pakistan that has gone global. I've You will see AF Malik Law's name on global websites, global legal forums. I've just been elected as the chair of the Asia-Pacific Board of the Global Alliance of Impact Lawyers. It's a, it's a network of global thought leaders, which is actually based in the UK, but we have global boards in North America, South America, Europe, United Kingdom, and Asia Pacific. So I'm the chair of the Asia Pacific board, and we have brilliant lawyers who are part of this. So I think it's just a privilege to be a part of that network, really, 
because it's such a great learning opportunity. And then the other work that I do as a lawyer is guide companies to move towards ESG metrics, environment, social, and governance to become impact businesses and also help businesses to scale. Many of my clients want to scale to other countries as well. So I also help in immigration law. So I help businesses or businessmen, women, immigrate to the UK, to the US, to Canada. And this is another area where I feel it's important to not restrict the growth of your business in any one location, because obviously when we are scaling, we have to go to different jurisdictions or different markets. As a lawyer, I would say jurisdictions, but as a businesswoman, I would say different markets. And it's important not to restrict yourself. So that's another thing that I guide. So as a businesswoman or as a business consultant, because my doctorate is in, is in business. So I have largely worked on sustainable business strategies. And my thesis is on sustainable business strategies also. So there are so many ways we can help businesses to understand how they can strategize their, their vision, their mission, their objectives, to be able to scale, to be able to grow by still being an impact business and still being able to reap in profits without greenwashing. It's a lot of work that we can do and we can we can guide businesses step by step. So this is the work that I'm now currently working on. This is the, the role I'm currently working on in Canada because my, my so I initially I started out with CEPLA in 2004. But over the years, CEPLA has become a brand name. It essentially means empowerment. It means sustainability. It means possibilities, really. So CEPLA has become, has had different, so it, we have the CEPLA Foundation in 2010. Then in 2016, we had CEPLA Enterprises in Pakistan. That has a number of projects. Then in, 2000, in 2022, we had CEPLA Consultants Inc. in Canada. That's a consultancy wing that's in Canada now, and I'm working on building that right now. So alongside my law firm, EF Malik Law, we had this, this CEPLA group, which is growing, and I'm hoping it will become, it will leave its mark in, in the business development and legal sectors and help a lot of businesses become impact businesses as well and help a lot of business individuals scale their work to different markets. That's what we want to do, basically. So work, of course, entails a lot of traveling. I meet a lot of different kinds of people because I'm not focused on just one market or one sector. So even though primarily I'm talking only about three sectors, really this becomes a lot of other sectors as well because most of our work is done online. So we, we use technology a lot in our projects. We've made great use of technology over the past 15 years. And at that, at that time, it was something not very, very, or, you know, very used in the routine matter. It was not very, it was not, it's, it was novel to use technology in this sense at that time, I, especially in 2008. I had different offices created on Facebook in 2008. Even Facebook didn't have Facebook work at that time. So, you know, these were just, and these were, they say necessity is the, is the mother of invention. And I think I was just sort of, because I was in that sort of catch 22 situation in which I was told that, you know, your, your, your kids are small and they need you. 
and you know they need you. And of course, I understood that. What are you going to do? Are you going to focus on the kids or are you going to focus on your career? How are you going to manage it? And really, there was no pressure for me from home. I had to figure this out myself. I had to find solutions. And for me, the best solution at that point was to move my work online, save a lot of resources, and build myself gradually, step-by-step, tiny steps, while my children were still growing. And now, you know, they've grown up, my kids, you know, they're at university, so I have much more time at my disposal to do a lot of other things and go out if I want to. So I think it's important to prioritize, you know, the balls that you have to juggle in life, which ball needs to be juggled at which pace and at what point in your life. That journey is different for everyone. So I'm just sharing mine. I'm sure everybody else has their own sets of priorities and they have to juggle their balls of education, well-being, their own personal well-being also is extremely important. I do feel, I think I probably didn't juggle that ball very well, but these are things which you realize. I've realized my mistakes after many years that, no, I think I should have taken care of myself. I should have taken more care of my health, which I feel, I think I'm trying to do now. Mm-hmm. So I, so these are the things, you know, which, uh, so what else? So, so this is what I'm doing now. I'm trying to take care of myself. I'm trying to juggle my balls. I love that. And, I, and that advice around prioritizing and how that will be different for different people as well. Taking care of yourself at the same time. And sounds, you, you're so hugely accomplished in all these different areas. But it's interesting that you still talk about learning as well and reflecting. So even having achieved all of these things, it's still a learning process. Oh, yes, absolutely. I think you can't, you can, the day you feel you you know everything, is the day you're going to stop growing. Yeah. yeah. You have to keep learning all the time. I, I already have a list of things I need to learn next. I've made, I've created my next list. So yeah. I, I'm not going to talk about those, but I've made my list. <laughs> Great. And and it sounds like you've been a real pioneer in different areas. You've talked about kind of the the, the female stereotypes in Pakistan and, you know, wanting to break away from those stereotypes you've set up your own foundation you've done that you are working in the impact business area you went online and we're doing things before Facebook we're doing them where has that strength and courage come from for you because I imagine that was quite challenging at times I think that's a very interesting question and so I think as as I said I, I feel very fortunate to come from a family that has focused on education. We've, we've had very educated females in our families. And my father specifically never treated me like a girl. <laughs> never let me know while I was growing up that I was the female species. <laughs> and, I, you know, he would always ask for my mother's opinion about everything, my opinion. So there would be a family council for any major decisions that had to be taken. I never thought... I never, it never even crossed my mind growing up that I was a lesser person who could not achieve anything. In fact, I distinctly remember once or twice when my mother, my, my father told me something like mow the lawn or do something which ordinarily girls in Pakistan would never do. And he, and I said, I can't do this. And he just looked at me and he said, 
the people who do it, do they have horns on their heads? If they can do it, why can't you? And in a way, it was pushing me, but I realize now that that was so important because I think if I hadn't been pushed to try, you know, push my limits, I would never have known that I'm capable of doing this. So a lot of things, you know, being the president of the English club in my college, becoming a debater, becoming a poetess when I had never written poetry before. So many things going online, creating websites, things which I thought that I can't ever do, I was able to do because I grew up with this training that my father gave me that nothing is impossible. You can do everything that others can do. That doesn't leave much. And have faith in yourself, leave the rest to God. You try your best, leave the rest to God. And really that is the mantra I've been following because obviously, obviously we cannot achieve everything in life, but at least we can try. Yeah, thank you. He sounds like a fantastic, he sounds like a fantastic figure. And that message about trying different things that might put you outside of your comfort zone and not almost letting yourself hold you back from from getting out there and doing some of that and experimenting and just seeing what you're capable of thank you and the other thing I think I must add is the second one is my husband Hmm. he's the he's been the second person in my career it's been my husband who's always pushed me Hmm. to try different things he's never stopped me from anything he has always had my back and I think you see that is extremely important for So behind every successful man, there's a woman, they used to say, behind every successful woman is also another man. You need to have support from home because if you feel supported from home, sky's the limit. Women can achieve so much. Mm -hmm. And it's such an important reason, you know, message to give out that women need to have feel support at home in order to venture out and try different things. If they're always going to be wondering, how am I going to be treated when I come back with some kind of an achievement? How am I going to be viewed if I do better than my husband, better than my brother, better than the other males in the family? If there, there's going to be that comparison and fear factor, then the woman is never going to thrive mm. in whatever she's trying to accomplish. Yeah, so the support networks are just so important extremely important absolutely and you've covered quite a lot of different sort of legal practice areas you've talked about wanting to study that to support your teaching and then setting up your own university but you've also practiced in different areas as well and I just wondered if you could share some advice for other students recent graduates who might be thinking that they might want that breadth in their legal practice as well I think you should get a flavor of different fields of law before you finally decide which area you're you're going to practice in for a number of years. Because without having experienced a bit of the, you know, the practice, you can't really decide. You cannot say that you're going to practice in that particular area for the rest of your life. So, for example, in Pakistan or in this I would say Pakistan, I wouldn't say in the region, but definitely in Pakistan, there is this stereotype that a female lawyer will definitely be working in women's rights or in family cases, divorce, maintenance, marriage related. And my focus was not those areas. My focus was company law. My focus was corporate law. 
And so when I would go out and introduce myself as a lawyer, the first thing people would say would be, oh, we know so-and-so who needs a divorce, or we know so-and-so who needs help in custody mm -hmm. cases. Can you help in this? Can you do anything? And to be very honest, I did practice. I did a couple of those cases and my heart didn't lie there because my, my expertise was not in those areas. I, I absolutely enjoyed contract law, company law, partnership act, negotiable instruments. I, I was the kind of kid who would be, if I was shown a storybook with pictures and I would be shown a thick book with no pictures, I would pick the book without the pictures because the book with the pictures would never attract me. So I always, always pick the difficult things in life somehow and enjoyed the challenge. And I enjoyed that kind of challenging environment that you have in company law, actually, because there's stakes involved. There's a lot of stakes are very high for, for big businesses and also for the, the degree of impact that you can create. For me, that is very important. So I worked in international development also, and for that same very reason, I wanted to work in areas where my work could create larger impact than just between two people. So maybe changing the law, changing the policy for an entire province, maybe for the entire country, maybe for an entire region. So I worked with organizations such as Asian Development Bank, AC Mode Nepal, I worked with USAID, and these are organizations that create projects and recommend policies at a much larger scale than just between two individuals or one individual. This is not to belittle the one or two individuals, it's just that it's a matter of perception and choice, I, I feel, and really preference as a lawyer, that which area I, do you really want to work in? Uh, there are some exceptional lawyers who work in human rights or family law, or criminal law, and that's wonderful. But I've integrated business with human rights. Mm -hmm. So the UN, for example, is working in business and human rights in the past 10 years. That's such an important area to be working in. And there are very few, very few lawyers from Pakistan who are working in this. In fact, I'm the only impact lawyer, the first impact lawyer from Pakistan who has totally worked on these areas and who's promoting impact-focused ESG metrics, business and human rights, business ethics, in through the practice of law. So yeah. this it, it becomes much more exciting, I feel, because you feel that whatever input you're making, whatever work you're trying to do has a much larger you know, effect as, as compared to what you can do by just taking one client's fee. Many of the times, I think, in these matters, it's not the return on invest, investment that matters. It's the philosophy of a social entrepreneur. It's how an impact entrepreneur thinks. We think more in terms of if I start doing something today, the impact of my work might be seen after five years. Maybe it will be seen after 10 years. Maybe it will be seen after two years. But that's how we measure how the impact of our work. It's not like I, I did a job today and I, I got paid tomorrow and or in one month's time. So I think, again, they said it really boils down to what kind of a temperament you have. Of course, this requires much more patience, I think. Because people want to get a degree and they want to get paid immediately. But then if you want to leave your mark in this world, really, then you should be looking at, you should have that vision 
to see where your actions are going to be leading in five years time, 10 years time. What yeah. mark are we leaving in the world? I think that is extremely important. And I used to tell my business students, don't run after the money. And if you don't run after the money, the money will come to you. So your focus should not be on money, really. Your focus should always be on good work. Yeah. And and I think what you were saying about, you know, trying out different things when different specialities, ex- again, experiencing that, but also working out what's really important to you personally and being honest with yourself about that and not being afraid to follow that path to that self-awareness is so important in thinking about where you want to practice and where you want to specialize and as you say having that longer term impact as well so thank you for sharing that I think for lawyers in particular for law students I think it's best to first try out different fields Mm. see what you like and you know every lawyer will they will understand themselves where they're most comfortable which areas they want to pursue and really that is going to determine which area they're going to practice in for the next number of years. Yeah. And I do know a lot of our students are very interested in international law and international development work. Do you have any advice for people that are perhaps looking to start out in that area or change their career direction, perhaps, or develop their career into that space? Any advice for those students? So the pace of work is very different in legal practice and in international development. Mm -hmm. So for legal practice, for example, and I think that there's no reason why you can't do both together at the same time as well. Mm -hmm. In legal practice, for example, either the student is going to be working at a law firm or after having learned the law, after the pupillage, they are going to be doing setting up their own law firm. But once you've done that, then you have to wait for a paying client. Yeah. You know, yeah. that that's really how the shop works. You have to yeah. find <laughs> Absolutely. So for, so if this is just advice for people who are starting out. And I, I've always said this, please find any kind of volunteer opportunities you can get while you're still young and you have that kind of time. I have volunteered even after 15 years of experience because I wanted to try different fields or I wanted to contribute in certain areas also. Everything doesn't, as I said, everything does not have to happen, should not be about money. You should always dedicate at least some part of your time in the month or a week or at some point where you are contributing to somebody else also or somebody else's growth or some cause or something. But for international development, If the students have any kind of volunteer experience with organizations or the UN or any kind of international agency that is looking for, they normally put up posts for volunteer positions. You can do those. Many of them can now even be done online. There are many impact law bodies or organizations that have been set up in the UK, in Europe as well which are always looking for students who can come and do research with them or do or even business consultancy firms that are looking for researchers. My suggestion is to take whatever opportunity comes your way and at least learn. A lot of young people feel that they need to be paid for work. I do understand that sometimes that situation is exploited as well. 
But again, that's a fine balance that individuals, they will need to determine themselves whether a situation is giving them an opportunity or whether that is a situation that is actually exploiting them. And if that balance is struck somewhere, if you are actually gaining more by being a volunteer somewhere, then really it should be taken up. Yeah, I think, and I think that advice around really evaluating those opportunities in terms of, you know, I am contributing my time, but am I getting out of it what I need exactly. as well in terms of my development? So that's, that's really helpful. And you've worked in quite a lot of different areas. You've achieved so many different things. Has there been anything that's been really unexpected as you have embarked in these different areas? Anything that's really taken you by surprise? So one thing that, of course, as I mentioned earlier as well, was the fact that you know, if, if a certain personal challenge comes your way, which is not even work-related, you know, or a health challenge comes your way, then your options really become quite limited. I've seen myself included, when I was presented with a health challenge, I, and it wasn't for myself, it was for another member of my family, I had to stop work, or I had to change the way I was working. And naturally, that took me off guard. It was not expected. I had made a lot of investment into that project. I lost that investment. There was no way at that time, so many years ago, that I could save that investment as well. Now things are different. Now there's so much networking online. People are able to connect to each other. This I'm talking about. When I lost my money, there was no social media. <laughs> now you can create partners. You can create collaborations. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing. The other thing is, I think in any kind of work that you're doing, you cannot always be successful in your pitches. You cannot always be successful in a proposal pitch for a consultancy or a project or a job or trying to get a client on board with you. You can't always be successful. But that doesn't mean that you should stop pitching. Pitching Mm -hmm. is extremely important. So out of a hundred pitches, you might be successful in five. And if somebody goes out as an entrepreneur with that assurance that I'm okay with five successes and 95 failures, then that, then that is, that will get you to the next step. Yeah. But if you're going to be uh, disappointed when you've failed three times, four times, 10 times, or your pitches aren't working, then this is going to pull your work down. And that's really the biggest challenge in entrepreneurship, Mm. that people feel pulled down, disappointed, they stop working, they close their business down. Of course, you have to evaluate, you know, during COVID, so many businesses closed down. Mm. Naturally, people had invested in those projects. They had to evaluate their situations at that point. Is it more viable to continue keeping a business afloat, which is losing so much money on a monthly basis, or should we just close it down? And if a person closes it down at that point, I don't think that is failure. I think that's smart mm-hmm. management because you're not, you're not supposed to be losing money. You can always close down. You can take a break and you can always start. Again. Yeah. No, thank you. That's, that's really helpful. And I think some real messages in there about how life's, sometimes just throws us unexpected things that we have to manage and there's an element of adaptability and resilience in that even though it's really difficult at the time and similarly 
with the the pitching and perhaps even applying for jobs where you might get rejected but keeping going but also then with the businesses recognizing that very much evaluating the risk and knowing sometimes when when is the right time for stop to stop as well and you mentioned networking as well and how that's really important for building collaborations for building connections have you got any tips for our students and our recent graduates around networking so really for me facebook helped me a lot mm-hmm. in the early 2008 onwards I did have a linkedin account at that point but i think i didn't invest too much time there i focused more on facebook and facebook gave women an equal level ground for networking mm-hmm. which otherwise in a society like pakistan or maybe even afghanistan or iran i don't know i think iran still doesn't have facebook but i'm talking about this region where societies are generally conservative women would find it difficult to go out and network and facebook or social media gave that opportunity to professional women who were who really wanted to network for the purpose of working Mm-hmm. excellent opportunity to reach out to people and it really then boils down to how you are presenting yourself online as well mm-hmm. so for example i had a very professional image put up mm-hmm. which helped me ward off a lot of unwanted kind of people approaching me but at the same time i didn't keep it so professional that people could could not approach me either I kept myself approachable but at the same time I I let it be known that these are my strengths these are my skills this is what I can do and the best thing about that kind of networking that happened over years consistently over years was the fact that people started vouching for some of the things I stood for people could say oh we know amara farooq malik or now dr amara if we give her this task she will complete this if we do this with amara we know this will get done so that's that kind of networking which i was really able to achieve or make use of because of social media and now even social media has changed so much you know we've been around in social media for 15 years but young people who are joining social media now the rules of the games have changed or are changing so for them i would say you have to see where your prospective partners employers are going to be so for example i took part in in a canadian accelerator where among other very notable interesting things that they did they had a guest speaker who came and said that i do my work on tiktok and i told her that you know with all due respect that's not my target market for a lawyer if i were to go on tiktok it would be the demise of my profession yeah. I, so you have to evaluate also what kind of business are you mm-hmm. selling i mean for a business in which you have to sell ice cream maybe linkedin is the worst place you could be on you yeah. really need to be on tiktok or on instagram mm-hmm. you can sell your product so really it boils down to what are you selling who is the target audience you want to reach out to and then create your own persona you need to have your online persona so that people are able to 
associate your skills and your expertise with your persona. And therefore, they will then reach out to you or even be interested in connecting with you. So it's important to create a persona that is approachable, professional. At least that's my opinion. I know people do a lot of interesting stuff to gain attention on social media now, but I'm still old school there. No, I think that's so, such helpful advice around thinking about who your audience is and, and where they're going to be and what's the appropriate platform, but also very much about then how you present yourself on that platform as well. And, and whether, as you say, whether it's you're, you're a, a legal professional, whether you are professionals in other areas, knowing which is the right platform and which is the best way to present yourself is so important. So Dr. Malik, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all of your, your insights into your career, all your fantastic accomplishments and all of your really useful advice for our students. It's been a real pleasure to meet you and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so very much, Emma. I absolutely enjoyed having this wonderful conversation with you and I really hope that the students find this useful. Take care. This was the third season of the Global Career Schools podcast brought to you by the University of London Career Service, this time devoted to the law sector. You can find our episodes on your favourite streaming platform including ACAS, Spotify, Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts and many more. All links and resources are in the episode notes. This episode was presented by Gemma Garrett and edited and introduced by Bushra Janou. We'll publish more episodes in the following weeks with some inspiring stories from our global graduate cohort. So please subscribe. Thank you for listening and join us next time for a new global careers call. Cool.